Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of knowing where to go to make sure you're up to date. My answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in Angular. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got adventures in Angular all day? Well, you can, kind of. We've set up a Slack team for adventures in Angular that you can join. And that means you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at adventuresinangular.com slash slack. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Angular Story. This week, we're talking to Danny Blue. Danny, do you want to say hi? Hey, everybody. Now, one thing I didn't realize when we had you on the show before is that you're actually a Google developer expert. Usually, we get people on Adventures in Angular and their GDEs in Angular, and so I just kind of already knew that. But you have a little bit different focus. Do you want to talk about that real quick? Yeah, so I, I am a GDE, but um, I'm not an Angular GDE. I'm um, uh, a GDE for web technologies in general, so focusing a lot on the um, the the web platform itself. So you know, a mm-hmm. lot lot of stuff with web components, service worker, uh, and things uh, things of that nature. Very cool. Yeah, and we've had uh, Rob Dodson and a few other people on the show to talk about that kind of thing. So it it's yeah. not foreign to us, but it's not really the focus <laughs> of the show either. Yeah, no, uh, Rob's awesome. I, yeah. I think he was on. I actually remember listening to the episode that Rob was on just because it, I it's very strange. I don't know why, but I was in the car on the way to to uh, on the way to speak at some some other conference and I was lost and I had that podcast on <laughs> when I was uh, when I was driving. Yeah. And he was on episode 115, which was in October, a couple months before we had you on. So, yeah, good deal. Well, we have you on this time just to ask you some questions, talk about your story, figure out you know, how you came to be uh, an Angular developer and do some of the crazy stuff you do. Are you ready to get started? Yeah, sure I am. All right. The first question that I'm going to ask you is, how did you get into programming? Programming in general. Yes. So I actually didn't get started, you know, cause I'm sure a bunch of people come on and they say, oh, I got started when I was a, a kid on, on my Commodore 64 and mm-hmm. all, all that kind old. of stuff. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I really didn't get started till quite a bit later. Uh, I was under the impression when I was in like elementary school and high school that you had to be a math genius to be a programmer of any kind. Wait, you I don't, don't know. <laughs> I, I really hope not, or I do not know what I am doing. <laughs> and I don't know where I don't know where that came from, but just in my head somewhere, that is what that was ingrained into my head. And so I, I so I didn't. It's not even something I tried until uh, until I got into college. Mm-hmm. And then even from there, I and this is actually a a, a bit of a regret I have you know, looking back now is I wish I had taken more you know computer science and math classes and stuff like that in college. But so my first real introduction to it was ActionScript 2. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So we started – I had a – my degree is in graphics technology and I was taking a class on Flash and we were doing animations and a bunch of that stuff. And mm-hmm. the second class that we took, they offered – they said you can either – we'll either just teach you more of the same stuff that you've been doing that you did last semester or we'll teach you how to make games. And so, of course, the entire class is like, well, I want to make games. No kidding, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that's really when it first started is making Flash games for school projects. Oh. 
Oh, which nice. is awesome. I still ha- I actually still have it somewhere. I don't think I have the source code anymore, which I would both love and be terrified to look at. Mm-hmm. But but that is the first computer program that I ever programmed. Right. That's yeah. awesome. I know a lot of people that we get on these shows, they say something to the effect of, yeah, I got into design or to build games and then they wound up doing web development or something. But yeah, to actually get to build a game as kind of your first, you know, semi-complicated app, that's cool. Yeah, no, it was, I, I know, I remember exactly what it was. It was, uh, it used to be up on my uh, DeviantArt profile for a long time, but the, it was just a little, it was just a little robot that you just had, you know, it's just like a little infinite runner and you just had to move the robot and avoid the obstacles and the further you went, the faster it went. So, you know, simple introduction to stuff, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, simple introductions to loops and storing variables as state, you know, storing state and variables and a bunch of that stuff. It was, it was very cool. It was a good mm-hmm. way to learn it. Nice. I will say the next thing I did after that was, um, visual basic, which was not as much fun or as interesting, <laughs> but that's how, that's, that's how I started. And I did both of those things before I ever got into JavaScript. Nice. Yeah. I worked with some flash developers, man, that was, what, like seven years ago was the last full-time job I had. And yeah, I mean, they were doing other things, but I always thought, man, I, I'd like to build a game. And of course now people are doing that with canvas or SVG or things like that. And yeah. And they're also doing cool stuff with like web VR and stuff like that, which is something that I'd like to learn more about. But that that's really interesting. One other thing I want to call out and I call it out every time we get somebody on that has this kind of a background is that, uh, you know, you don't have to be like you said, a math genius in order to write code and you don't you don't have to get that computer science degree in order to qualify to be a professional developer you you figure it out you get introduced to it somehow and then you find interesting and helpful things to do with the code yeah no it it was um I, i actually remember sitting in my visual basic class and i think it was my senior year of college let's see i graduated from college in 2011 so i remember it was like one one of my last semesters I learned the flash stuff from before. I still didn't. I, I wanted to do design more than anything else, but I wanted to have a foundation and, you know, some of the tech stuff. And I remember when they first started, it's like, okay, well, this is some, this is some visual basic code. And I'm like, oh, this is the same as the other thing that I learned before. Just the syntax is different. Mm-hmm. And I like, and that was a, that was a pretty significant light bulb for me as well, knowing where, oh, as long as I understand some of these core concepts, I can try to teach myself some other stuff too, which is when I got my first job, how I started doing JavaScript is literally, I just bought a book that again, I think I still have somewhere and was just decided that I was going to learn how to write some, some JavaScript. And I mean, at first it was, it was terrible. It was very, very, it was very, very simple, but, but it worked and I felt very, and I got a very big sense of accomplishment seeing it's like, oh man, look, it's actually doing this thing in this one case and then doing something else in a different case. And I was, that's pretty much when I got hooked. Nice. Did you do anything like uh, brain bending, like going with, I don't know, Lisp or Scheme or anything like that? Oh no, I didn't do any of that until much, much, much later. Let's see. I, so I learned JavaScript at least somewhat. And uh, then I have a, a I have a friend who is like a his name's Cody Henthorne. He's actually a, um, a GDG organizer up in Baltimore. He's a and he's you know the masters in computer science type of guy. And I, I worked with him. I worked with him for a number of years, and uh, he tried to teach me C. Um, 
and he was trying to get me to uh, get a game of ASCII to play a game of ASCII checkers in C. Um, never finished that, but it was uh, it was an interesting experience and makes me appreciate not having to worry about uh, manually managing memory. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember that nightmare from college. I was a computer engineering major, so not strictly speaking computer science. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> free and malik and oh, headaches. Uh, malik. I still I, malik is one of my favorite words to say in general. It feels like it rolls off the tongue very, the tongue very well. But but yeah, I I just remember it's like, what do you mean that you have to put different? You have to manually put different bits in different places if you want to access them from different places. Yeah. And that is, is, it is absurd. And I've actually been thinking about some of this stuff quite a bit. There's a very, very good, this is, this is going to be one of my picks too that we can talk about more later, but there's a, a very, very good, um, series on YouTube called Crash Course. And they have one right now called Crash Course Computer Science. And they walk you up from, you know, logic gates all the way up to memory and seeing exactly how all that stuff works compared to what we have now is, is, it uh, makes your brain hurt. A yeah. whole lot. Yeah, those were the classes that I was taking in college because, as I said, you know, I was an engineering major, not a computer science major. And, uh, yeah, it was all of that design and just the, you know, the logic and how you arrange all of the gates and all of the transistors in order to make all that work. And we actually had to design different systems using, like, VSDL and stuff, you know, to build those things. We actually had one class where we had to lay out the transistors in the different layers in the silicon, <laughs> right? And then run it in a oh, simulator no. to to have a spy bus run. And if, if you're curious what that is, it's a spy SPI bus. You can go look it up. But yeah, I mean, just crazy stuff. The and whole thing feels like a trick. It really does. Like when you when you figure out it's like, okay, well, this is actually stored in memory just because it kind of gets stuck somewhere and doesn't have anywhere else to go. Uh -huh. You're just like, this, this whole thing is built on top. This whole thing is a house of cards. could yep. come down at any moment. Yep, absolutely. So, yes, yeah, so you did some Visual Basic. You figured out, hey, look, you know, if I, if I understand one programming paradigm, I can probably figure out the others. How do you get all the way from that to doing things like web and JavaScript development? So... Uh, a lot of it started at my so at my first job when I when I when I got out of college I was working at a uh, at a swimming pool manufacturer marketing department in Jane Lou West Virginia an enormously small town if uh -huh. that <laughs> if that makes sense but there was a guy who I, I'm, I'm still in contact with his name's uh, Daniel Marshall and he started after I did and he was the one that convinced because when I was in school. To do web stuff, we learned – we did a lot of stuff in Dreamweaver. Like we mm -hmm. learned HTML and CSS, but we did a lot of stuff in Dreamweaver. And so I got to my first job. That's also what they were using. And I was like, OK, cool. It fits right in. And that's how I understood markup and CSS and, and, and everything else and not yet JavaScript. Uh -huh. And he started, I want to say like maybe two months after I did. And he said, no, we're throwing all that. We're, we're not doing that anymore. We're just going to write – we're going to write all the markup all the CSS by hand. And from that, I started to get a better understanding of just how web pages were put together. And from there, I, there was a very, there was a very specific, there was a very specific task where we had some little contact form on the side of one web page and we wanted it to, and we wanted to, when you clicked on it, we wanted it to animate out. 
And from from there, I was like, well, okay, I'm sure I can figure out how to do this. And I I don't even remember what the website was called. <laughs> there, 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 there was a there was a website I used to visit all the time that just had code snippets of random stuff that you would just copy and paste and and run. And I uh, started figuring out a little bit of a little bit of jQuery. And I, you know, by golly, I got that little side menu to animate in and out when you clicked on it, which was which was awesome. And so from that point. I started to do more. I started to do more and more JavaScript, mm-hmm. and actually, so I taught myself as much as I could, and then ended up doing the Code School JavaScript road trip oh, courses. Cool. And I those I still recommend whenever somebody wants to get into some of that stuff. I still really highly recommend those. They're very very well done, and they they ease you into it a lot. Like I mm-hmm. think even the first few episodes that like they don't even talk about a web page or script links. They're just like if you just open your console, you can start typing JavaScript code into it. Oh, nice. Which is, yep, that makes which, sense. It, which which is really really cool, and you get a little bit of a better helps you with an understanding of just like where stuff lives. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it kind of became a bit of an obsession of just wanting to build things. And I guess kind of snowballed <laughs> into uh, into where I'm at now. Nice. And it's, it's also very just fascinating to me. I mean, when I was learning web development, it was back in the early 2000s. And there were websites that would help you learn it, but nothing like the code schools and things like that that are out there now. And so yeah, it's, it's refreshing in some ways to know that, hey, look, if somebody wants to come into this now, there are all kinds of resources out there. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of talk around about how complicated modern web development is, and I'm not discounting that. It is it it is complicated. I tend to agree with the idea that it's complicated because we're trying to do complicated things. Some people don't agree with that, and that's totally fine. But with anything else, if you break it down into small enough bites, you can get into it. You don't have to if you're just learning web development in general, don't you don't, don't jump into the webpack tutorial, you know, maybe <laughs> yeah. jump into, you know, like, and some of that, I think, um, as a community, we can do a bit better job of, of, you know, kind of guiding newcomers of here's where you could go first. It's one of the reasons that I recommend code school and just going, going through it from start to finish. Don't just right. jump into the one start, go from, go from the very beginning to the, to the very end. Even if you are, it's like, I already know what variables are. Even so just do it. But, but as a community, I think we can do better guiding because there are, because you were saying that there weren't you know, there were some resources, but we had, you know, like we're, we're spoiled with how many resources we have now for learning yeah. stuff. And I, I think even that large surface area could potentially be intimidating for somebody coming into, coming into something. Like I remember the first time I did a tutorial and they're like, when well, you need to download this CLI tool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is a CLI? Yeah. I have uh, like, I, I, like you, you skipped over an entire thing that I have no idea about. So it, so it can be, uh, it can be tricky finding your your foothold, as it were, to get started. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I came from a background when I was learning to program where I had done IT for, well, I take it back. I had been doing IT and network maintenance and stuff. And then in my classes, you know, it was, yeah, the command line was just second nature because I was using it at work all the time. 
But yeah, I've run into a lot of people where they get hung up on something like that and the instructors, it's so foreign to them that they just, it never occurred to them that, oh, somebody might actually get stuck on CLI. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. how, what, what is this? What am I, what am I dealing with here? You know, what does it actually do? And yeah, I think a lot of times that's where some of this stuff falls down. I recently ran across a thread on Reddit where somebody was complaining about Ruby on Rails tutorials. And, you know, they were complaining, A, that a lot of it's a moving target because Rails continues to update. But also, yeah, that a lot of them just don't understand where somebody's coming from with the basics. Yeah. It can be really easy to to skip over stuff as mm-hmm. well. Kind of dipping into some Angular stuff straight away. Before the tooling was as good as it was now. Yeah. It was sometimes you would be like you would look at a Stack Overflow post and would say, oh, you just import. You need to. Well, you need to override this provider Mm -hmm. for something. And I'd be like, I have no idea. What package does that provider come from? I don't know. There there are. I mean, and now now there you just start doing it enough and you just know. And the IntelliSense and stuff helps you out a lot. But. But at that point, it's like I don't know where this I don't know where this where this package is coming from. And so mm-hmm. there's like there are these very little little pieces of information that really really help. And sometimes they seem like they don't make sense. And to this day, that is why like if I ever post like a, a response to somebody or to somebody trying to figure anything out, I always show the import statements at the top of the file. I don't just uh, I don't just don't just jump straight there. I was like because I remember that being that being a problem. Mm-hmm. Same with the with the with the CLI stuff. You talking about it being? I was saying it was complicated, but complicated because we're doing complicated stuff. But if you're not familiar with the CLI and you're just learning JavaScript, how do you tell somebody the difference between JavaScript running in the browser and Node? Yeah. And then how do you explain to them what? Well, this is what a package man. This is npm is now a package manager for Node. Uh-huh. And then you have to explain what a what a package is and so and th- so this is before and I, I am really talking about somebody that has no experience coming into this stuff yeah like, absolutely absolutely not which is roughly where i came into it and i just remember having so many so so many problems with that because like i didn't i didn't know what command line arguments were it's literally just comp it's like when you see something but you can't really grok what it is uh-huh. it's like i could copy a command i could copy and paste a command into the terminal, but I didn't know what it did. Like I, I didn't understand what each of those pieces of that command meant. Mm-hmm. And that can be frustrating. It can be extraordinarily frustrating for people that are just getting into it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to deviate a little bit from my questions then. If somebody is new and they're trying to get into JavaScript or Angular or something like that, and they don't have experience with some of these things, what do you recommend they do just to kind of get their head around what's going on? So a couple of things. I think find the beginner the beginner tutorials for stuff. Like I said, Code Schools is really good. Code Academies are pretty good, uh, but they don't have the videos. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I like Code School is that it kind of it gives you it gives you videos and the the hands on um, right. coding challenge coding challenges at the end. Just do those do those first. Don't feel like oh I already I know too much for this part. Just do it. Start at those extraordinarily basic, boring program you know programs that you're going to write at the very beginning. After that, I honestly don't have a great answer of where to go <laughs> next. It's, it's so there's the it's kind of like um so do you ever play Guitar Hero or Rock Band? Uh huh. 
Yep. So you know how the biggest jump was from the jump from easy to medium was pretty straightforward. The jump from medium to hard was extraordinarily difficult, at least for me. <laughs> so I, I yeah. kind of feel like it's the same way here uh, where it's just, it, there. So personally, I don't know what a good answer is for me. It was it's really just practice. It's it is Find so go go through the stuff. Figure out like okay, get build up a few tools in your toolbox, and then just try to make something. Don't worry if it's if it's a PWA. Don't worry about about really a lot of the things that you know that that people are very very are really concerned about nowadays. Just try to make something, and from there you'll figure out stuff that works and stuff that doesn't work. And there there are people, and there is an enormous community out there. I I think. Twitter is actually a really good place to be in general. And you can kind of find the people that you know are helpful. Now, this is not to say like, don't just email people you see online directly asking for, you know, personal, you know, personal help with projects and things like that. But just being a, just kind of being in the environment, you Uh can start to absorb a few things, or maybe somebody will post a link to something that isn't relevant to you now, but you know, in a week you're like, Oh, I remember somebody posted about, about this. And so from there it's, so I I was saying, I don't know exactly what to do, but I I think it is really just practice is that you just have to, you you just have to do it. You just have to write code. Yeah, that's really true. One other thing that I have run across is that, you know, people tell me this about the podcast where it's like, you know what, I started listening to JavaScript Jabber or Adventures in Angular because I was interested in learning it. And 90% of the time you were talking about stuff that like, I didn't even have the professional context to understand what you were talking about. But as time went on, I kind of grew to understand a bit more of the jargon, a bit more of the lingo, some of the concepts behind, you know, web development or angular development or whatever. And, and that's kind of how they grew up to it is that, and then doing what you talked about where you're going to these communities online, stack overflow or whatever, and, and getting help and asking for help and looking for feedback and things like that. And between all of those things, that's where people really kind of had things happen. But you you kind of have to get out there in the deep end and just be fighting to keep your, your, your nose and your lips above the water so you can get a little bit of air. And then you'll kind of figure out how to stay above the water. I actually have one other, uh, one other tip as well. Mm-hmm. And that is to a, a lot of people don't put a lot of stock in, you know, like the vocabulary necessarily. It's more about understanding the concept than the act than the actual terms. I tend to disagree with that. I think you should get a good enough vocabulary that you can Google things well. Um, and you will have you'll have it be, you know, like it's very hard to tell to explain to Google an abstract thing that you're trying to find versus if you know the if you know the right if you know the right words mm-hmm. so it's so it's not even just the vocabulary it's just like it's it is how to ask google technical questions that that's true and the other thing is is that people are going to describe the answer or the question in those terms anyway yeah and so yeah it does it makes it a lot easier to find those answers but the other thing is is that a lot of people like to ignore this part of programming but ultimately, most of the time, you're not going to be building your own app all by yourself. And so you need to be able to communicate with other people anyway. And understanding the, the lingo or the jargon that they're using is a shortcut for explaining what's going on. Because you have these complicated concepts that are essentially boiled down to one word or two words. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I think an easy example of that is if somebody has a list of stuff and say, like, oh, just iterate over that and do X, Y, or Z mm -hmm. versus saying, OK, I need you to write a for loop that exact that is exactly this length. You know what I mean? It, like, yeah. I, I think a shortcut is, is a really good. It's like a macro for uh, for complicated concepts. Yeah. Well, even in Angular, if I'm talking to you about a component then, you know, I'm talking about a bit of logic that has a layout and styles and, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, in Angular 2 or later. And so, you know, by just having that conversation, you know, I can shortcut all of those pieces and just talk to you about, I have a component that does this. And you, you automatically know that I am talking about um, maybe the area of the page it displays or the logic that's involved or both. But I don't have to explain that has logic that does this and layout that does this. You know, you kind of intuitively know that it includes all of those things and that it has a responsibility. Well, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the next question. So you yeah. you get into JavaScript, you're doing web stuff, life is great, and then Angular. How do you get into Angular? So I actually, uh, kind of begrudgingly, actually, I was working at Deloitte Digital at the time, and we were starting to take a look at, this was very early days there, and we hadn't picked a, a, a framework or anything that we were going to say, it's like, oh, we're going to try to specialize in this. Uh, and so we started looking at a few different things, and I originally started looking at Ember in Thanks, because Code School had a tutorial for it. Mm -hmm. um, but so I started looking, started looking at Ember and found that I really liked a lot of the concepts. I really liked the router. This was before, this was before Ember CLI was out now. So I was, so I mean, so like the, the, the stuff I was doing was like, was really not, <laughs> not maintainable or good, but I, but I just remember really liking the concepts. And then we had a few other people who had heard about this angular thing. I actually think, I actually think it was my friend. I actually think it was my friend, Paul, his, uh, his wife is also a developer and she, she had started messing around with angular mm -hmm. one dot. I don't even remember what version of it it was at the time. Um, but it started messing around with that and we're like, okay, well let's, let's workshop that a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. And started, uh, started trying to make stuff, trying to make stuff work. And, uh, pretty soon I was, finding myself to like the, I think for me it was the, it was the, the, just the plain JavaScript objects. Um, you know, like I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't care about dirty checking or what was going on under the hood at the time. All I knew was I changed a property here and now it's different in the view and I didn't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. So again, so like kind of, so, so at first it was kind of begrudgingly cause I was like, well, I really like Ember. And then, and then I, partially got outvoted and then as and then the more I the more I worked with it the more I found myself to enjoy writing the code I was writing in angular more than um I was enjoying writing the uh the ember code yeah that makes sense I mean that said I, I do <clears throat> want to call out that ember broke a lot of ground for a lot of the frameworks that we have today so it's, it's kind of interesting to see how people have moved on from say backbone to ember or knockout to react or angular you know, yeah. and, and who knows what we're going to wind up with in the future, you know, whether it's a later version of Angular or a later version of React or whether yeah. or not something else is going to come along that's going to revolutionize things all over again. I mean, the Ember guys are still trucking along, too. I oh, mean, yeah. Ember's not gone. Like, it's a, Ember still has a really good – one of Ember's big pluses is – which it still has is that its community is very, very good. And maybe part of that is because maybe it's a bit smaller than, than some of the others. Maybe that actually makes it better. But they just they just released their Glimmer engine 
really not that long ago that I know that was a lot of people were talking mm-hmm. out about for a little bit because I think you can actually, you know, if you're using Ember and Ember COI, you're automatically using Glimmer, but you can also use Glimmer on its own if you want. All still, be- all still behind handlebars, but I say be- I, I say behind handlebars because I know some people don't like handlebars. Um, <laughs> but it's a, but yeah, but it's it's a pretty, but you know, like I. I played around with it for a little bit. I mean, it's, it's really good. There's that those guys are still doing a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. So I got my start in Ruby. And so I, I knew Yehuda. I've talked to him plenty of times and, uh, Tom Dale is another person that I've had the pleasure of speaking with a few times. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of great stuff going on there. And I remember when they started it and it was just like, Holy cow, this is, this is really nice having a lot of these features in the browser and then, yeah, being able to, you know, build front end up from there is anyway, it, it, there's some great history there. And yes, I have plenty of friends in the Ember community that are just terrific people that really pull a lot of weight, um, for the framework and for people trying to come into it. So yeah, no, no intention whatsoever to say that they're gone or dead. Yeah. But yeah, it's, you know, and, and that's the other thing is, is that, I see a lot of people out there in JavaScript land that it used to feel like maybe there was a little bit of animosity between some of the frameworks and communities, but it seems like mm-hmm. a lot more it's collaborative now. And so, you know, a lot of people don't begrudge anybody using Ember or React or anything like that. You know, yeah. it's like, look, if that makes sense for your problem set, then go for it. Yeah. One thing I will say, this, this is a little bit of a sidebar. It's just we're talking about a couple different frameworks. Whenever you are evaluate, trying to evaluate a framework... Picking, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, pick the right one. Um, but uh, make sure that you can explain to somebody why you picked a certain framework in your own words, mm-hmm. not just the, you know, like the bullet points on the first page of the website. Um, for, uh, like, you know, so because I think one of the the pros that Angular gives, for example, is is dependency injection. So mm-hmm. you could give it's like, oh well, I like Angular because of dependency injection. That's fine. If you have no, if you don't have a real concept of what dependency injection is, it's not that it doesn't mean anything, but it's just making sure that you that you do understand as much as possible the deci- the decisions that you are making, uh, because and so this actually happened a little bit in the the, the React community a little bit with with virtual DOM. So like they really popularized the concept of a virtual DOM, and I mean now there's you know there's Prevact and Inferno and a, a ton mm-hmm. of other things. I think Glimmer might use a virtual DOM as well. I think I've heard that, but I don't know. For sure. uh, yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to say that with any with any sort of certainty. But but yeah. I believe I had, I had heard that. Um, and so there became a uh, this idea that just the virtual DOM itself was faster than regular DOM, which is false. Like it's just it's just not true. And Dan, I can I is a very simple last name that I cannot pronounce for Dan, some reason. Dan Walleen or somebody else? No, from the React community. Um, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. But like they, they kind of had to come out. It's like, and no, it's not that it is faster, but it is that we are providing. It is helping to provide you a way to write more performant code more easily. Right. But and like, but they had to come out and say that because that's kind of where, where the the kind of the term that's where the terminology went and kind of defined itself naturally. So it, so it is one of those things. Of just make sure you do your homework and try to understand something as well as you can so that you can decide for yourself, oh, I don't like this or yes, I do like this. That's funny. That's what I tell people about politics. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, it's kind it's kind of the same thing, right? Like if you don't talk if you specific don't talk about the specifics, it is the the kind of thing of just spouting off, well, I 
I like candidate X, Y, or Z for these mm-hmm. reasons. It's like, well, have you read any of their policies? Well, no. And it's the same, the same thing with, uh, with frameworks. Well, or, you know, bl- a blindly supporting a particular issue when you don't really understand all of the facts or numbers around it. Yep. 100%. Yep. So, so yeah, so you've, you've done a bunch of stuff in Angular. You've also done a bunch of stuff around the web standards. Uh, do you want to talk about some of the things you've done there? Sure. So, um, so like I'm not intimately involved with any of the, you know, like with, with any of the actual, you know, like the people that actually make a lot of the standards or anything right. like that. But, um, but, uh, so I started getting really interested in web components, um, through my, uh, friend and fellow host on the web platform podcast, uh, Eric Isaacson. Uh-huh. Um, and I met, I actually interviewed at the company that Eric worked at, at one point with Eric. And I, um, I didn't get that job, but him and I stayed in touch mm-hmm. for like, I don't even really remember exactly how, how it came about. And we just started, talking about different stuff and he got me interested in polymer and he's the first person that ever said the word uh, polymer to me and this was also so like i didn't know if polymer was web components or if polymer was a polyfill for web components or that stuff would start but started to try to learn about exactly what the spec was and i got really really excited about what specifically custom elements and uh-huh. and still like if you talk to um like anybody that, that i do the web platform with like custom elements are the one that I like. I like the others. Custom elements are the good, or in my opinion, the good one. <laughs> but uh, the reason being is that I remember very early on when I was first learning web stuff, I wanted to make a custom HTML tag. And I remember looking up because I assume it's like, you must be able to do this. This must be a thing that you can do. And I remember looking up how to create my own custom HTML element. And then everything was just like, oh, it's just nothing you can, you just, you just can't do this. And then I get, and then I get Eric come in and be like, oh yeah, you can do that. And I got really, really excited about it. I got excited for my past self mm-hmm. to be able to be able to do some of this stuff. And the idea of being able to do things without the framework is, you know, which you can, but there, it's just, it's, it's, it's been a piece that has been missing, I believe for a very long time in the web. And right. we're still, we're, we are getting there, but we are not there yet. Mm-hmm. with the with the browser vendors but it and I, and there are some people that are getting they're you know frustrated about um uh, about custom elements for x y or z reason not being able to pass javascript objects through attributes and things like that but i just say that's just how you know how html works um <laughs> but, but so so but having these not having these lower level building blocks to build other abstractions off of, I think is really, really, uh, I think is really exciting, especially building non UI custom elements. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an example, but not a really good one. So one of the first things that I remember learning is, okay, here's an HTML element on a page. Here's how to grab a reference to that element and do something with it to add an event listener or add an event listener, pass it a property or, or, or something like that. That's, that's mm-hmm. a very essential building block that a lot of web developers start with. It's like, okay, well, I need to be able to interact with things on the page. This is, this is how I do that. If you have custom elements, you can give people a familiar API surface with which to interact with the, 
the web page. Mm -hmm. For example, when I was messing around with some of this stuff on this was back in V0 days for the web uh, for the custom element spec, I just wrapped a bunch of HTML5 APIs. Like the I think I did the notification API. I did something with the full screen API where you could wrap an element in the full so there's a full screen element you could wrap another element in it i don't remember exactly what it was but it was, but it was, but it was a way to to help trigger full screening either an entire page or certain elements on a page things like that and i was trying to build things that i thought that my very early my very early on self mm-hmm. would be would have been able to use I think that's a really exciting thing that we are that we're heading towards that hopefully you know continue continue on the path they're on in a lot of in a lot of frameworks you know work on their interop story and also I mean just use rather than your own component model use compile down to custom elements gotcha yeah there's a lot of really really interesting stuff that you can do with the the is it web components yeah thinking of the right term yeah. And and yeah, it's it's just really cool to see, okay, you know, here's some examples. Here's here's how you use these things. And yeah. and then the fact that, you know, we have this explosion of frameworks, it works with most of the frameworks. Yeah. To clarify, so so web components consists of four specs. Uh-huh. It's um it's the it's custom elements, HTML imports kind of. We'll kind of leave that one alone for a little bit. Uh custom elements, HTML imports, uh shadow DOM, uh-huh. templates. And the templates and the template tag. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's consists of those four specs, and the uh, custom elements is the one that lets you create uh, a unique piece of a unique piece of HTML, and that is the one that is the most widely supported in browsers now. Like that's the one that's the one that everybody seems to be able to uh, to agree on. That and the and the the template tag, which I actually think is in might already be in everything, which is which is great. The template tag is is a small one that is a an. E- it's kind of an easy win that eliminates the need to have, you know, just like script type equals mm-hmm. some, you know, some proprietary thing equals, you know, text slash handlebars, template slash handlebars or something like that and have all of your stuff in there. Um, just a way to get a little piece of a inert, inert DOM that you can then clone mm-hmm. and then do with what you will. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. The next question is, what are you working on now? So I'm still very interested in the Angular-specific interop story with web components, specifically, again, with specifically with custom elements. So Angular's component model very closely matches the custom element component model, if you will, where you pass information in through properties and listen for changes through events. And because of that, you can use custom elements in your angular application with very little with very little configuration there's a specific custom element schema that you can include in your ng module definition will allow you to use custom elements without any uh, properties being thrown I, I was very very excited when i just like okay this is a component emits a custom event and you use it in the exact same syntax you would any other angular component that you can't really distinguish between the two unless you were actually you know looking which is really perfect. Yeah. That's that, that that's exactly what you want. The only thing that I don't like about the story right now is the fact that you since you have to do that add that custom elements schema, if you actually look in the source code of the source code that parses that 
metadata, it, there's just a line that says, you know, if it's a cust if it, the schema name is custom element, return true. So you lose some of the the the, the friendly compiler messages from uh, that Angular gives you out of the box. So one of the things I've been playing around recently is trying to figure out a way to pass, you know, to to whitelist other you know, custom element names mm -hmm. and even properties and that kind of stuff. So I've, so very big into the interop story between Angular and custom elements and recently, and I've, I haven't, I haven't posted anything about this, anything about it specifically, but right now that is what I'm working on is, is trying to see like, okay, how, how, uh, how is the framework actually parsing this metadata? How can we potentially, you know, like extend this so that we can white to make it easy to just whitelist a set of um, a set of custom elements so that you get the same, you know, almost the same type safety from custom elements as you do from Angular components, which I think would be fantastic. Yep. yep. Awesome. Well, the last section of this, and you've been on the show before, so you know what picks yeah. up. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Comp. Newbie Remote Comp is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Max Wood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. This conference is focused on people who are new to programming who want to learn what the pros know or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current and a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers. Plus, we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Yeah. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? So I sure do. So one of the first things that I that I want to shout out specifically is actually a book that I'm reading called uh, it's called Demon by Daniel Suarez. I don't remember what year it was published, but it's a really cool tech mystery fiction piece of fiction that is it's 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 very very cool a buddy of mine that's been a developer for a very long time recommended it to me and i've been i've been enjoying it quite a bit i have one other non-programming related pick and that is actually the show bob's burgers if nobody has watched it before because it is one of the shows that my that my wife and i 100 percent agree on and i think it's the best animated you know like prime time ish cartoon that's out there you know, you know, animated cartoon, you know, the same way. Um, but, and then my last pick, which is programming related, like I'm actually going to give to, to code school specifically. Uh, so I was thinking about it before, but I, especially when we talked about it earlier, I owe them quite a bit for, for where I'm at just because I did, because I did learn so much through them. And so mm -hmm. one, I just feel they deserve the, they deserve the shout out. And they have a bunch of other stuff besides web as well. Like they've oh, got, they they've got, they've got native iOS. They've got, uh, they've got backend stuff. They, you can just take a, my wife did a course on uh, SQL and for just like, just for fun to learn stuff. They have a ton of really good stuff on there. So, so go, go check them out. Yeah. I don't love SQL. So I would love to see a course that's <laughs> SQL for fun. Yeah. Oh, and they, oh, their, the video, their video, their videos are so good. They're so animated and fun. Yeah, they are. Their parent company is actually about an hour from my house, Pluralsight. Yeah, they've got a lot, a lot of good stuff too. And uh, the founder and former CEO of Code School, Greg Pollock, is actually the he's part of the reason why I got into podcasting in the first place. So, oh really? Uh, yeah. So, and they've sponsored the show as well. So, I mean, I've got a lot of <laughs> interesting tie-ins with that particular company. And yeah, I I can't say enough good things. So yeah, 
I will say that I did not know that before I picked them as one as one of my picks. So totally independent. Yeah. Well, let me jump in here with a few picks. So I, I'm going to wax a little bit philosophical and future seeing, which, you know, I could be totally wrong on this stuff. But I've been talking to quite a few people and I've been watching some of these companies that are out there uh, innovating in uh, in the space of programming and what we can do with what we have today. And I really feel like we are sort of primed for an explosion of technology-related things similar to what we had through the web over the last 20 years. You know, the web was kind of a new thing. I remember... My parents finally got the internet, right? And there were like 10 pages you could go on. Well, there were more than that, but, you know, there, there wasn't a ton out there. And I remember playing with websites like GeoCities and Angel Fire and stuff like that and learning how to do web development, you know, just for fun in high school. And then, you know, I thought programming was a total joke when I was in college and then got into it after I graduated. But I feel like we're really kind of primed for another explosion in some areas. I think it's going to be a few years before we really see what what all the capabilities are. A few of these technologies are becoming approachable enough to where I know people who own like VR headsets is one of the areas of technology. I know a lot of people who do a lot of stuff with IoT. And uh, the other area that I feel like we're going to grow into is artificial intelligence. And as our computing capabilities grow... Uh, there are cloud platforms that do a lot of AI stuff at this point with large data sets and things like that. And and I really feel like all three of these things are just kind of up and coming areas where there there's going to be some kind of tie in between all of them, especially between artificial intelligence and virtual reality or, or augmented reality. You know, just as it senses the world and makes sense of what it's picking up and then giving us other ways of experiencing what the world is in VR and AR. And so I, I went out and I decided, okay, I'm going to pick up one of these areas because I really want to learn more about it. I also was talking to a company that has a platform. Uh, it's called Veritone, veritone.com. Um, I think that's their website. Anyway, so uh, they have a platform for artificial intelligence. You can write algorithms for it in Python and JavaScript. So I'm going to pick them. But I'm also going to pick a couple of books that I picked up for this. I haven't finished these books yet. And I also signed up for the Coursera course on artificial intelligence. We'll put a pick in for that as well. But then the first one is Artificial Intelligence with Python. And this is by Pratik Joshi or Yoshi, J-O-S-H-I, and highly recommended on Amazon. And then the other one is Machine Learning for Absolute Beginners. And I'm assuming that this is much more for, say, business people or non-technical people who are kind of coming into the field and trying to understand what the collection of capabilities are that we're talking about when we talk about machine learning. And anyway, I'm I'm excited to kind of dig into both of those. And then the first week of the course, I think, ended last week, and I haven't watched any of the videos or anything, so I need to get caught up on that. Anyway, I'm excited to really dig into what artificial intelligence is about and just see what the capabilities are. And it seems like the languages that most people are doing this kind of thing with are Python, and then I've seen a lot of movement in JavaScript with artificial intelligence, and so I'm excited about that. And then virtual reality, I mean... You can write web VR. I think there are VR capabilities for some of the native platforms in JavaScript. I don't know how mature they are, but I know people are working on those. And, you know, IoT is being done with JavaScript among a myriad of other languages. And so I feel like a lot of this stuff really has 
uh, legs. And it's a place where we as JavaScript and web developers can take our skills and kind of branch into the next big explosion of technological advances. And so I'm, I'm super excited about this stuff. I'm definitely excited to see what comes out over the next few years at CES. I've also been going to the Microsoft conferences. Microsoft has actually provided my way there. And then we've done podcast episodes while we're there as well. So that's been easy to attend. I'm going to VMworld this year. I'd like to make it out to AWS because they have a lot of platforms for this stuff. And I really, really think that, you know, there are really some exciting innovations that are going to be coming around the corner over the next couple of years. So yeah, big, long rant just to pick a couple of books and a course. But anyway, really excited about that. And I'm currently working on launching two new podcasts for the podcast network. And I might do a third on on artificial intelligence. So, oh, that's very cool. It, it, it it's it's an interesting thing. There are other AI podcasts out there, but none of them really focus on the art of programming for artificial intelligence. And I think I think that's really an area where, yeah, you understand kind of the broad strokes of how neural networks work or things like that, but then how to actually build them, I think would be a really cool podcast. So, I would listen. No, that's a, that sounds that sounds very very cool. Yeah, well, if you're interested in it as a listener, then feel free to email me, chuck at devchat.tv, and let me know. Because if I'm seeing a lot of interest and support in this, then it makes it that much easier to just go ahead and pull the trigger. All right, well, Danny, if people want to follow you, figure out what you're working on these days, you know, maybe you have an interesting blog or you post cool stuff on Twitter, uh, maybe GitHub, wh where do they go to kind of see what Danny's up to these days? I'm pretty active on Twitter. I'm D-E-E-B-L-O-O-D-Blue on, on, on most things. The only difference is Twitter, there's a little underscore in there because somebody else has D-E-E-B-L-O-O for some other jerk. reason. Right? I, don't, I, don't, I know, right? I don't, I don't appreciate that at all. That's mine. They should have known better. But yeah, you, you can find me pretty much anywhere online. I go by one of those variations. And yeah, I'm fairly active on Twitter. I try to share out any cool stuff that I find. Um, I, do a little bit, I do a little bit of blogging on Medium. I've, I've got a post specifically about um, you know, interop with custom elements and interop with custom elements and, and Angular. And I'm hoping as long as stuff is going well, I'll, I'm, I'll be posting something about some of these custom schemas as well. And uh, yeah, for example, because I forgot to throw this in at the last minute, uh, there's an article up right now that I just that I just retweeted um, about using Closure Compiler with Angular, which is uh, oh, very cool. cool and very exciting. So we will, um, yeah. So if you want to check out something cool, that's where you can that's where you can start. All right, sounds good. Well, we will go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, it was a little longer than normal, but I think it, great stuff in here, and really appreciate all you're doing out there in the community, Danny. No, thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.